to the weekly message from Angel of Joy Lutheran Church, an ELCA congregation located in Lufkin, Texas. Pastor Paul Guy and the family of Angel of Joy invite you to join us for worship at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings if you should find yourself in our neighborhood. Please enjoy this message and visit our website at angelofjoy.org. Dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I've never seen a poll taken, or the results of a poll, and yet if there had been one, or if I were to ask you, which is your favorite parable, and I have a feeling that this one would be pretty far up on the list. Everyone knows about the the prodigal son and and we like it I think we like it partly because it doesn't seem to quite point a finger at us at least it doesn't seem to right off the bat it seems to say that well the guy had a turning of heart the naughty one and he came home again And the other brother, who was sort of a whiner, um, didn't really get punished either, but he kind of got put in his place. And the father had both his kids back home again. How nice it was. And so we walk away from the parable feeling good and don't feel the least bit accused. Jesus, believe it or not, told a lot of parables, and he told them because he had a reason wasn't just because he was a good storyteller, sort of like Hans Christian Andersen, but he told stories because he wanted people to draw truth from them. And most of the time, so far as as we can figure out from the Gospels that we have, the, the parables that have been told, he doesn't try to explain what he meant by them. There are a couple of exceptions, especially where the disciples said, hey, we don't get it. What, what did you really mean? What did you want us to, to learn from this? But mostly he didn't say because he figured if there are five different people there, they're going to come up with five different answers to what does this parable means. And in each case, that answer would be applicable to their own personal lives. What we get out of this parable is probably going to be the same way. But it doesn't keep a preacher from saying a few things. Never does, does it? I heard a story about a young woman. This woman had grown up quite poor, disadvantaged, but through circumstances of faith, this young woman met and fell in love with, mutually fell in love with, a young man who came from a well-to-do family and was well-educated and had a good job with a lot of job security. In other words, it all fell into her lap. And she was so happy, and they lived very happily for a few years. But then she got very ill, and she was told that the chances were very good she would not survive the illness. And she was in the hospital And as often happens, she became really angry with God. She had done nothing to to bring this illness upon herself. 
It simply happened. And she was reasoning that if she had to get sick, why couldn't it have been something that they knew how to fix? But they didn't know how. She said, I lived such a hard life, and now finally I'm happy, and, and I have a wonderful relationship with my husband, and it's being snatched away from me. And she, in her hospital bed, got angrier and angrier, and she decided it wasn't enough to be angry. She had to let God know precisely how she felt. And so she got up out of her bed, and she walked down the hall and took the elevator down to the first floor where the chapel was in the hospital. And it was dark except for candle lights on this little altar there, and she went down this aisle to tell God how angry she was and how unjust he was. And about three-fourths of the way down, she, walking on this carpet up the aisle, she lost her strength and fell to her knees. And as she fell to her knees, she saw embroidered into the carpet right about where her hands were, it said, You are beloved. And she paused, and she thought about that. And it touched her heart. And she said, you know, I am beloved. I know I am. I had done nothing to win this wonderful blessing in my life. And I know that I will be blessed forever, one way or another, survive this world or not. And she made her way back to her room without ever expressing her anger to God. And she fell asleep and rested very peacefully for the first time a very long time because she knew that she was loved. The story of the, the prodigal sons has been interpreted so many ways, and in fact, mostly it doesn't say so in the Bible, but but it's been given that title, the prodigal son, or the parable of the prodigal son, and it puts all the, the onus on that disparate son, the one that took his, first off went to his dad, said, I want to get my inheritance now while I can, now because I've got some things I really want to do. I need it now. And rather than the father saying, nope, doesn't work that way, kid. You have to wait till I kick the bucket. The father said, no, I'll give you what you want. And so he figured out 50% of the inheritance, and he gave it to that son, and that son immediately took off. We're told he went a long distance, probably to Las Vegas or Reno or Monte Carlo or someplace where he could have a good time and gamble and, and party even in some ways that are probably not particularly condoned by the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. He did that. And pretty soon it was gone. It was gone. And he realized, I can't do this anymore. I'm either going to die in this place or I'm going to go where I can survive. And he thought, there's only one place where I can go. And that's home. 
but I disgraced my father by saying I'd rather have my inheritance now. In other words, you're as good as dead to me, so give me my inheritance. He knew he'd disgraced his father. He had wasted the love. He knew that was gone. He also knew that there was another son, his brother, who had stuck around, been honorable, done the right thing. But he swallowed his pride because he had nothing else to swallow. He was pretty hungry. And he went home. And the gospel says that when he was, and he was ready to tell his father, I don't even deserve to be your son anymore, but would you please hire me on as one of your, your laborers? But before he could even get close enough to his father to, to use that speech that he had been working on in his head for so long, his father saw him, and he raced as fast as he could to get to his son, And we can imagine that son was not racing as fast as he could to his father because he expected the worst. But instead of the worst, he got the best. And you know the rest of the story. But for me, the story is not so much about either one of the sons, although there's plenty of meat in that to chew on for a while, but rather about the father. And knowing Jesus as we do, I'm pretty sure that was his focus too, trying to tell people what God is like. You know, in the Old Testament, we see all of these stories, if we read or hear it, if we're sitting in the pews or the the seats, about how God was a God that loved the Israelites, the good ones. He wreaked havoc on the Egyptians. And once the Israelites got out of Egypt and finally crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land, He gave them the wherewithal to wipe out city after city, race after race, men, women, children, even livestock, which didn't make a whole lot of sense, but nevertheless did it. If he didn't love you, heaven help you. And people felt that God was a God of vengeance. If you didn't do the right thing, if you didn't obey those Ten Commandments, which, of course, all good Lutherans do every day. We get up in the morning and get down on our knees and we say, Lord, I'm going to obey all Ten Commandments and any others I can think of every minute of today. Because that's what Lutherans in East Texas tend to do, I think. Joe, you're giggling at me. Now, the thing is, they thought God was a God of justice and vengeance. And Jesus spent the best part of his ministry telling people, no, you got it wrong. God loves you. We first heard those words, you are the beloved, at his baptism, remember, on the Jordan? But then... That carries over into the baptized of every age since then, including everyone here, probably, because I think all of you have been baptized. You are also the beloved. You're not the incarnate Son of God. You're not divine. You're not the Redeemer. That's true. Neither am I. But we are loved by God. And Jesus went way over the top trying to get that point across to people. Even this parable, the Father 
who's already forgiven his son before he even came into view. And as soon as he saw him, he raced as fast as he could to get to him, to forgive him, to put that cloak, that expensive robe on him, to give him a ring, to give him new shoes, probably straight retail Birkenstocks, which are kind of expensive, overpriced, I happen to think. But still, he did all that for him. And then he said, you know, that that calf, that prized calf that I've been saving for a very special occasion, you know, like when when the governor is going to come to visit, that sort of thing. He said, no, this is more important than even that. My son, the lost one, has come home. Hallelujah. And that's really, even without talking about the other brother, the parable could have ended perfectly right then and there. Yeah. He was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. Time to party. God looks at us. And we're not the worst sinners. I mean, let's face it, there's nobody here that's locked up in a maximum security prison for our sins. We haven't done that. We're not on death row. Our sins are small compared to some, but it doesn't change the fact that we're sinners. It doesn't change the fact that we stand in need of God's love and grace. And the truth is, God has given us his love and grace. Jesus is preeminently the sign of how much he loves you and me. He loves you enough to allow his, his own only begotten son to be nailed to a cross and humiliated and ungraciously put to death. Easter notwithstanding, there was that sacrifice and there was that commitment to you and me. Yep, God's running toward you. And even in your worst moment, when you're feeling as low as as a worm's belly, God is loving you. God is valuing you as much as anything. God is out there looking for you. And if it's a tough time in your life and you feel all alone and abandoned, be very sure that you're not. You are the beloved. Every moment of every day, even when you're not on your knees by your bedside first thing in the morning, you are being loved by God. And that's what I want to say today. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please provide feedback on the iTunes podcast page and visit our website at angeljoy.org for more information.